The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 84 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm Sean Rapier. I am your host, and this week's conversation Nate and Angeline Bagley are not only the hosts of the Mormon Marriages podcast, which is just awesome, you got to check it out, but also do all kinds of seminars and different things uh, revolving around marriage. And I got to tell you, when I first met them, from the moment we started talking, I just love them both so much. You are going to be so impressed with them, two of the coolest people I've ever met. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you about music from the past and the importance of being present. It's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week we are not in the Latter-day Live studio, and we are not (laughs) recording over uh, the internet either. I'm in the home of Nate and Angeline Bagley. They are the hosts of the Mormon Marriages podcast. Mm -hmm. I was going to say welcome, but... I'm in your home, so well, well, then welcome, welcome to, to you. Our home. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you so much. It's uh, early on a Saturday morning. I really appreciate that you guys made the time. I have fallen in love with your podcast. Oh, I think thank it's you. so fantastic. So I was kind. just telling you, I've been listening to some episodes, and we're going to get into the Mormon Marriages podcast and mm-hmm. everything like that. But let's start out getting to know you guys a little bit better. <clears throat> I don't know who wants to start. Ladies first. Ladies first, first, Angeline. Well, you, this story kind of starts with you, honey. Nate first. <laughs> Nate first it is. So Nate, tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. and Well, we both grew up in South Jordan, right. Utah. Like a mm. couple blocks from each other, A actually. couple blocks in the same stake. Which is not far from here. No. no. Yeah, um, we're in Sandy right now. Mm-hmm. But yep. we didn't know each other. So you were in the same stake, but you never met. Do you remember kind of knowing who each other were? No, she's seven years younger than I am. Oh, okay. I... Um, <laughs> So our mothers actually served together as young women in the Estaking Women's Presidency. Oh, so so I knew of his other, family, yeah. and um, I went to school with his younger brother Josh, and then my best friend, one of my best friends, Michelle, her older brother Steve was best friends with Nate. So there were a lot of combinations. So there were a, there lot, were, there were a lot of like of people in crosses, um, but I never like I knew kind of his name and I knew what his face looked like, but I never had met him or talked to him or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so you, when did you guys end up meeting? We met at uh singles ward camp out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a state camp out. <clears throat> so this was, this was long into the journey. Pretty yes. long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're seven years older than Nate, I was, I was, she had just gotten home from her mission and she was a massive introvert and she was still kind of mission weird. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, is that a real phrase? I guess mission so. Weird? It we is can, now. We can coin it. All right, that's it. You got to throw a trademark on that because yeah. mission weird is there's that there's time a when special you get back. kind of weird when you get mm-hmm. back there is a where special weird. you're you're in the world and definitely not of the world. Well, and I had a, yeah. I left a little bit later on my mission because I was already a nurse when I went on my mission. I'd she already gone to school and everything. Yeah. Finished school. I was the nurse of the missionaries, and when I came back. Usually, like, when you come back from your mission, you go to school and you have all these things. And I just had nothing, you no plans. Yeah. Well, I got I got to work, but that was it. And yeah. so I still, I felt like I didn't have the same social experiences as a lot of return missionaries get. Right. And it took me a little bit so this So this cute girl shows up in our ward. And I, I was the elders quorum president at the time. And I'm I was 31. I was, like, right on the verge of aging out. Yeah. And I had just gone through a breakup. Like I had been engaged to another girl and it didn't work out. And um, so she came home and I was like, who this girl? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you must have been the catch of the ward. You're the elder school No, prisoner. definitely You're not. You're 31. You got your life together. Um, but it was pretty obvious. Like I, I was really attracted to her, but she, I'm like, she's an introvert. She's shy. There's no way that she's going to go for an old man who's balding, extroverted, like loud, kind of obnoxious guy. 
So um, we didn't really, we weren't really friends for a while. We went on a camp out, uh, this big. Can I mention before the camp out? Yeah. My first memory of Oh, Pete, yeah, this is funny. Yeah. We were, it was a fa- family home evening and we were all at the Institute doing yard work. Oh, we this is like not the story leading. I was thinking you were going to tell. Oh. But keep going. You can Sorry. tell the story you're thinking of. But um, I remember I turned a corner and there was this big hill going down a grassy hill and I had a shovel in my hand. And Nate and a bunch of other people were at the bottom, and I started walking down the hill, and he turned around and started clapping for me, like, <laughs> like whistling and clapping. And I was like, "Don't try! What are you? Who are you?" Everybody like, looks at her. What are you just... doing? I felt so awkward, and <clears throat> he like, I think he knew that he could make me feel uncomfortable, and so he would like yeah. do things. Do you remember would... when we sat next to each other when we spoke in <clears throat> sacrament meeting? Oh yes, I remember that too. We were. We the elder. She was in the Relief Society presidency. <clears throat> oh my gosh, I got something weird in my throat. I apologize. No, you're fine. Um, so the interesting, Andrew was actually supposed to move out of the ward. We were not supposed to. Well, we almost didn't meet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You better be careful saying we weren't supposed to meet yeah. your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. But she she was about to. She had another roommate lined up. She was going to move out of her house and go somewhere else. And then she got called to be in the Relief Society presidency. And she told the bishop, like, oh, sorry, can't do it, moving. And he goes, well, you know, these callings are inspired. I would just ask you to pray about it, think about it, and then come back and give me a And I wasn't answer. expecting that answer because our bishop was so was chill, pretty chill. And I was expecting, like, oh, totally fine, no worries. Yeah. But he, like, he looked at me and he was like, oh, well, I would encourage you to really think about this and pray about this because this is, we need you here. And Inspired bishop. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, so. I took a day. To really like ponder and think about it and pray about it. And I, I came to the conclusion that I needed to stay. So she stays. And then as a new presidency, the elders quorum presidency and the Relief Society presidency kind of, we spoke one week in church and she sat next to me. And I remember, um, just kind of to tease her a little bit, I reached down and held her hand during sacrament meeting just to see what she would do. I don't think we had wow. really exchanged. We hadn't very talk, talked very you much. You barely knew each other, and you took her hand. Yep. Yeah. Angeline, and I'm like on the Angeline, what are you thinking? On the stand, like squirming. Like, who is this guy, and why is he holding my hand? And I just laughed, and it was like, anyway. <laughs> but so after that, we didn't really have much interaction, and then we went on this camping trip, and I still kind of considered Angeline to be just this kind of like shy, introverted, casual friend that I could tease every once in a while, and we had this kind of agreement that like I would make her feel uncomfortable and she would endure it. <laughs> and then we went on this, to this camping trip and um, they had a big dance and she was dancing on the dance floor with a bunch of girlfriends and I went out and I loved to dance and I'm, I saw her dancing and I'm like, wow, this does not look like the introvert. You know, she was totally out of her shell and she looked at me and she winked and I was like, Oh my Whoa. goodness. Yes, wow. I will. Now, do you I, remember, <laughs> that is Angela, permission do you to proceed. I do remember the wink. You so threw the wink. I, I got to tell you, I don't know what it is about dance parties, but I, I really do come out of my shell. I mm. love I love just cutting loose and dancing. And I remember him walking on the dance floor, and I was in the middle of my groove, and I just looked at him and winked. I don't know what came over me. That is not my it was personality spirit, at honey. all. It was it was eternity. <laughs> it was a prompting prompting from Jesus. <laughs> Our future children. Wink, mom. Um, but he like melted to the floor, and I was. It so took you saw me the response. Guard. You threw the wink, and <laughs> I was like, he just, "Oh like, yeah, melted oh. you were <laughs> you were gone." Yeah, that was it until the next day when she friend zoned me. But yeah, so we ended up going through this whole journey where it was like friends, a little more than friends, friends, a little more than friends friends okay let's do this and mm-hmm. we kind of finally got it i was out. really scared how long did you guys date before you got engaged so we officially dated like five months before we got engaged but we were friends for like a year right, before that right you hung out a lot we spent a lot even after like, this camp out, several times a week we were hanging it out it took us like six months after this camp out to actually start wow. dating yeah and you guys have such a passion for marriage and relationships and and we'll we'll, again we'll get into the podcast but your story of how you got to being together beforehand each of your individual stories i think is so worth the audience hearing because Mm -hmm. i think we tend to think you know there's there's sort of a i went you know i went i graduated high school i went on a mission i came home i went to school we met in a singles ward and we got married we Uh definitely did not do everything in the traditional order no which i love and i Mm -hmm. love that you guys have been 
very open about it. I'm not asking anything that you haven't shared on your own podcast. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you can ask whatever you so, want. Um, but what I'd love if you would, and I don't know who wants to go first, but kind of if you could go high school to this point where you guys meet, because each of your journeys is A, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's amazing how it prepared you to kind of meet each other. Yeah. Yeah. So do do either one of you want to take... How about you go first about... Because okay. your story so I correlates with mine. Graduated from high school. Went directly... Well, did... went to, Basically went on a mission. Yeah. Where'd you serve your mission? Santiago, Chile. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, had a really rough mission experience. Mm. I had been raised to kind of believe that I was going to be this golden missionary that I was going to show up in Chile and I was going to just like have lines of people ready to baptize me the language. Everything was going to come easy. Well, and that's the reputation of Santiago. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I was kind of that kid too, who was kind of the golden boy growing up and never oh, misbehaved yeah. and did everything right. So I had, I had high expectations for myself and I got to the mission and the language picked, I picked it up really quick and everything seemed to be going very smoothly, but I just didn't baptize anybody in, in one of these missions where everybody baptizes somebody. Sure. So I got over a year into my mission and I didn't have a baptism in, mm. in one of the highest baptizing missions in the country. And I got really depressed. I missed my family a lot. I was, I thought I would have leadership opportunities and it was right when they had raised the bar. And so the number of missionaries leaving compared to the number of missionaries coming in was just horribly disproportionate. Mm. So there weren't like trainers there were so many senior missionaries in the mission right. that they had all their leadership callings and they needed a, and and there weren't many people coming in to like be followers if that makes sense i totally get that so yeah. i w- anyway so i had this vision of like oh i'm going to be a district leader and a zone leader and an ap and i was going to train and i never did i was like a district leader for one transfer and that's it mm. i never so i came home pretty disenfranchised and and sad and depressed from the mission Ended up uh, going to school at UVU, communications degree, um, got a job, did a lot of stuff in the marketing world, internet marketing, got a job at a software company when I graduated. A couple years after that, moved to um, to Florida, and I was in Orlando for a little over a year working at a restaurant company, Tony Roma's, mm. and then I quit that and um, ended up doing a Kickstarter and spending about a year of my life traveling around the country interviewing couples who were in love with each other. At this point, I was about 27. What what drove you to want to do that? Uh, I just didn't want to be a crappy husband. And yeah. ex- when I looked at my dating life, it was not reflective of the type of marriage that I wanted to have. And I knew I wanted to get married. And mm-hmm. I knew if I got married, I wanted to be an amazing husband and have an awesome marriage. I didn't want to have an average marriage. Yeah. I didn't want to settle in that, like, in that one area of my life. It's the only area I didn't want to be mediocre. Mm, that's awesome. And I'm not sure why, but it just was like my parents have a great marriage. My grandparents all are married. Like I never really was exposed to divorce. I just had this desire to have something spectacular. That's awesome. So I figured if I talk to a whole bunch of, of couples who have something spectacular, maybe I can figure out the common thread in their relationship that everybody else misses out on. Do you feel like more of a personal journey that you were... Yeah. Leveraging into a business then? That's yeah, what yeah, I hear. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's so great. So that amazing. Yeah, my my mess became my message, I believe. is there's yeah, I a, love that. A, a, a kind of a phrase I heard last week. I don't remember who says it, but um, yeah, so that's kind of... So I, I got back from that, and then um, for the next couple of years, I tried to run my own business, and I went back to the software world, and then, um, then I met Ange. Uh, it, around 27, when I started this trip, I kind of decided I was done with the church for a while. Yeah, I wanted to get into that because yeah. your your story of of going through what we I think now call a faith crisis. Yeah, um, faith transition, faith, faith crisis. transition. Yeah, uh, it's it's impressive how open you are about that. And I would I would encourage. I mean, we're doing a very Reader's Digest version of it. Yeah. Um, most I think most of our listeners are old enough to know what Reader's Digest is, yeah. <laughs> but we're doing a compact version of it. I would really recommend there's a great episode of Mormon Marriages Podcast where you talk about this more in depth, that you went through this faith transition time yeah. uh, you know, where you weren't active in the church and you were exploring other things, Yeah, and then you ended up making your way back. Yeah. Actually, almost not by your own choice, it was just no. Lord saying, Nate. Guess what? Yeah, I was put into a, a, a forced choice situation. Yeah, which was good for me. Which was good. Which yeah. was oh, inactive, really. Guess what? You're an elders quorum president. Yeah, which is wonderful, right? right. I mean, well, like, the Lord's that mindful. It, yeah, it can be. But I also think it says a lot about you, Nate, that you were 
you know, you talked about the conflict of, hey, I'm inactive and I'm, I'm still, I'm not sure what I want to do. But then also this need to, oh, I'm being called to do something, then I'm going to do it the best I can. Right. And I can't be inactive and yeah. be an elder score president. Right. Yeah. It was a really tough time for me. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. So I, I left the church in large part because I just felt like I was a giant disappointment all the time. Mm. I felt a lot of shame. I felt like no matter how good I did, I could always do better. And I just felt like I was constantly falling short, constantly messing up. If people knew who I really was or if they really, if they really saw who I was behind the mask of like golden boy, that they would just be appalled that, that they would be turned off, that they would dislike me, that I would never get married. Girls wouldn't want it. It just laundry list of things. I was never doing anything terrible. Sure. It was just, I didn't feel like who I was on the outside matched who I was on the inside. Yeah. And I didn't like that feeling at all. But I think it's, I think it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think it's I very get those common. feelings. I get those feelings. Yeah. When, when somebody comes up and say, Oh, you're such a great guy. My first reaction is, well, you don't know me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I think, I hope, and I believe that the church is doing a lot to change the expectation. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of believe that, um, change like that, it's, it's really hard to happen from the top down. I mean, we need the top buy-in from the top, Yeah, but the change really has to happen from the bottom and, and oftentimes it trickles up rather than starting at the top and trickling down. And I do see that a lot more members of the church are recognizing that this is a problem with our youth, especially in now. And then just, people in general and they're yeah. recognizing that there needs to be a change in the way we, we talk about things the way we. Yeah. And I think th- there's a, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately, but and I think I'm starting to get the words to actually articulate the thought mm. is um, when we raise our children on testimonies built on certainty, what happens is that when, when one little thing creeps in one, one historical unsettling unsettling historical fact or one doctrinal inconsistency or one negative interaction with the leader, it fractures the certainty and which fractures the entire testimony. Oh, interesting. And, That's a great way to look at it. And, yeah. and so to me, like I was raised on to have a testimony of certainty. I was not raised to have a testimony built on faith just in large part, just because the language we used, I know the church is true. I know that I know Joseph yeah. Smith. I know the book more and all this stuff. And, so when I when I started to really feel that shame and that guilt, um, I started to get really frustrated, and I wanted to know if I distance myself from the church, will the shame that I'm attributing to the the culture or the church in general, will that shame leave? Will that negative feeling that I carry yeah. around with me all the time leave? And the further I distanced myself from the church, the better I felt, which was really the opposite of what I had learned growing up. Right. You know, the, what I learned growing up is the closer you are to God, the better you feel. Yeah. But as I removed myself, I don't know if it was necessarily the church, but it was I removed myself from the the community where I felt the most expectation for me to be perfect. Right, and I started to relax, and I started to feel more like myself. And um, yeah, it was it, it took me it took me on quite a journey of doubt and um, a little bit of like I had to go through the grieving process with God and be angry and resentful and yeah. frustrated for a while. And then um, I I found my way back, and I didn't. It, it was not. I became a member of the church again, in a way that I didn't be- know was possible. Mm. Like I had to reinvent what it was for Nate to be a member of the church, and yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought there was like one way to be a Mormon. There was one way to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, yeah. and and uh, that's not true. Yeah, now the church so. is the church is. It's for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally on the, the earth for everyone. We can't all be the same. The general authorities aren't all the same. Right. Yeah. You listen to the apostles speak, and you know I've, I've shared on our podcast before, I got to spend an hour one time with Neil A. Maxwell. Wow. <clears throat> we spent about 10 minutes talking church stuff and 45 minutes talking about music and surfing. <laughs> That's so <laughs> That's cool. Awesome. I, I literally sat in a room, me and Neil A. Maxwell, mm-hmm. talking surfing. Like There is such a variety of people... Um, I assume that your journey has created opportunities for you to be more empathetic and sympathetic with other people. Yeah, that's probably the 
the biggest thing that I've, one of the most important things I've learned for sure. Which I think that when you go through that crucible of faith, if then the Lord can put you in positions that he maybe can't put me. I haven't been through that, yeah. that time. And so there are people that you can connect with that I can't, which is one of the things I love. Yeah. And also we watch conference now. We're talking in conference about addiction, about uh, spousal and child abuse. We're talking about pornography. We're talking mm-hmm. about real things that 25 years ago, 30 years ago, we were not talking no, about right. this mm-hmm. stuff. It was all, you know, plant your field and get your faith. So yeah. uh, it's awesome. And I'm so, one of the things I'm grateful for and, and that I hope that our listeners will take away from some of this is it doesn't, these journeys don't matter unless you're willing to share it. And the fact that you're, you share it so openly, I hope that others would, would be able to think, okay, this is something I can share in a quorum meeting or it's something I can mm-hmm. share. Yeah. I wish there was more of that. Evening. Well, I mean, I, I believe that like, especially elders quorum and relief society, it's yeah. meant to be a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Right. And it can't be that unless we, we like, we're being encouraged to minister to each other right now. You know, it's what we hear in almost every single lesson yeah. and just constantly being pounded into us. And I don't think we can minister people until we know them. You look, exactly. you know, you look at Christ and he was in the streets with people. He was, you know, sitting down with people, talking to them, really getting to know them and their problems mm-hmm. and what was going on in their life. It's like, you can't minister to somebody if you don't know what's going on in their life. Yeah. And so to, to me, sharing, being willing to share your story is, is part of your responsibility of the ministering program, being, being willing to sit down with people in your, in your neighborhood, in your elders quorums, in your release societies and say, this is what I got going on in my life. These are the things that are going great. These are the things that I'm kind of struggling with. And that, that invites the ministering to be able to happen. But if we're constantly closed off and looking perfect, ministering doesn't work. Ah, I love that. Angeline, tell us your journey during this time. Okay. (laughs) That led you to Nate. So, um, well, you I got done with high the beginning. school. I got done with high school and I was really lucky in that I knew what I wanted to do. Like my whole life, I wanted to be a nurse. My mom was a nurse and I just thought that's what moms did when they grow up as their nurses. <laughs> and I was just always fascinated with, with healthcare. And so I went directly from high school into nursing mm. classes and was able to graduate pretty quickly from, from nursing school and get my nursing degree and then go on a mission um, Where did you serve your mission? I served my mission in Honduras. Mm. Um, what? And I, I never wanted to serve a mission. That was never ever on my radar. And I, I was introverted. I didn't like the idea of going up and talking to people who didn't want to talk to me, like knowing that they didn't want to talk to me, and talking about things that were important and valuable to me that just wouldn't be important or valuable to them. And so I had just. Um, decided that that wasn't for me and I wasn't going to do it. And I um, had even been dating a guy and we were talking about getting married and just had this like nagging feeling that I needed to go on a mission, which was weird because I was mid-nursing school and I didn't think that that was a possibility for me. How old were you at this time? I was 21. 21. Um. And they had just lowered the age. So, like, it was this huge push. All these missionaries, this huge surge of missionaries were... a whole lot of sisters went at that time. ...were going out. And Um, elders, yeah. But for about a year, I had this nagging feeling that I needed to go and just kind of would reject it and and push it away and think that I was just... It was just my thoughts. But I eventually um, fasted about it and felt this like overwhelming peace about going on a mission. And even though I was terrified of it, I knew that it's what I needed to do. And so I actually got engaged before I left on my mission, um, which I wouldn't recommend. (laughs) 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 But um, yeah, I don't know. Is there, has there been an experience where getting engaged, actually engaged before a mission worked out well? I don't, I'm sure it's happened, but let us know and we'll feature you on the Mormon marriage podcast. But (laughs) I've never known of that to be a super positive thing. But also it's pretty common to be young and dumb before in your 20, in your early 20s. That so. you have to be. That's yeah. a prerequisite for a mission. Yeah. So. Well, looking back now, though, I feel like it taught me a, a really valuable lesson. I'm not saying you were dumb, honey. Yeah. It just, it's okay, honey. I know that's not what you meant. Or that other people are <laughs> dumb either. You know what's funny is as soon as you said young and dumb, I was only picturing boys. 
<laughs> so I think most girls have it together. Yeah. But anyway, um, so you go I out just, on a mission engaged. Yeah. So I had this mentality my entire life. I always knew what came next. I always had a checkpoint. Um, first, I would graduate from high school. Then I would move down to college. Then I would um, go into nursing. Like I always had these find a husband, get married, make steps, babies. Yeah. Um, to look for to to look towards, and I found comfort in knowing what came next. And so I think going on a mission for me was completely out of my comfort zone because I didn't know what came next. I, mm. I didn't know what came next. And so I think getting engaged before I left was my way of putting my ducks in a row oh. and assuring that I knew what was going to happen when I got home from my so you mission. You kind of had that safety net of, okay, right. I'll take a chance over here, but I'm going to get some security right. here. I, Heavenly Father mm. was asking me to make a sacrifice to leave. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do that as long as I can have this at the end of it. I yeah. was assuring for myself the blessings after. Right. And the instant I hit the MTC, it all hit the fan. Like, I Wait, knew. What, what hit the fan? It, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just, the second I hit the MTC, I knew that. That's when the Oreos hit the fan, right? The there. Oreos, right. yeah. I knew that I needed to let go of that certainty. So did you break it off from the so MTC? So I tried in the MTC to break it off and like I I it was just too hard. Like I remember having my very first panic attack in the MTC mm. over that. And um because I knew it was what the spirit was telling me to do but I didn't want to believe it because I really cared about this person and mm. I didn't want to hurt them either. And had he had, had he already served a mission? He'd already served a mission, okay. yes. And so um, I kind of like alluded to it in the MTC, but got like not a very good reaction from him and my family about it. And so I just Hmm. dropped it and ended up going six months before actually breaking it off. Are you generally kind of a pleaser? Are you generally someone who worries about what other people... Um, not so much now, but this is a lesson that I've had to learn. And this was a huge... Um, what ended up happening is I ended up resisting the spirit during that first six months of my mission. And I was, because I was afraid of what he was telling me. Um, and I felt like every time that feeling came back, the same, the same feeling of you need to break it off with this person. And so I ended up resisting and there was a certain point in my mission. So I was the nurse, like I mentioned, and there was a sick missionary that I needed to take home. Um, she couldn't travel alone. And so I was going to another part of the country where the temple was in oh, Tegucigalpa. Yeah. And I was, um, this was kind of the peak of me resisting the spirit. Like I'd be sitting there and I'd feel like I should talk to the person next to me and I would just say no. Like in my head, I'd be like, no. Mm. And um, my plane ended up being delayed I was supposed to have 12 hours in Tegucigalpa and I was going to do like two sessions and I was going to spend all the time in the temple and our plane ended up getting delayed and I didn't leave for like four hours after it was supposed to leave. And I remember talking to one of the office elders and he was like, are you sure you have a way home? Is your plane, do you have a plane ride home? And I said, of course I do. Why wouldn't I? And the spirit was telling me like, maybe you should check on this. And I was like, no, I'm not going to check on it. Wow. I, I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. So then we get there. We get to do Kusiapa. I drop the sister off to her family. And um, her family's like, please, thank you so much. We're so grateful. Can we please take you to lunch? But at this point, I didn't have time to do a session at the temple, but I really wanted to go. And I felt those whisperings, go to lunch with this family, go to lunch with this family. And I was like, no, I'm going to the yeah. temple. And so I got in a taxi. I rode to the temple. I called my mission president and said, I don't have time. What do I do? And he was like, well, just go inside, ask the temple workers to give you the best experience they can, and then come home because that's all you can do. Yeah. And I remember the whisperings came back, ask him if you can spend the night. Just ask him if you can spend the night. And I was like, no. Mm. Sorry. No, I can hear it. Um, 
And then I got out of the temple. I, I got in a taxi. I went back to the airport and the airport was deserted. And it turns out that my flight was canceled. And so all day, the spirit had been trying to tell me that I was going to be spending the night anyways. So I could have had that experience. I could have gone and done a session and had peace and um, had lunch with that family. Had lunch with that family. Yeah, and um, yeah. ended up um, just sitting in this airport all by myself in a foreign country. I hadn't been by by myself for six months. Just like realizing what I had missed out on. Yeah. Because I was resisting the spirit. And um Heavenly Father is loving and caring and ended up this couple walked down the stairs um from the islands and they ended up being members of the church. Mm-hmm. And um they were visiting Tegucigalpa. I can't even remember why they were there, but they ended up um getting a hold of the temple president and helping me get a hold of my mission president to tell him I was stranded. And they ended up getting me to the little hostel that's at the temple. And I, I ended up spending the night with the mission, the temple president. They served me dinner. And then I went to this little room by myself and just, it was the loneliest night I'd ever had. And I remember praying and thinking, what do I need to do to change this? And it was just, you need to break it off. You need to let go of the future. You need to let me take care of the future and just let it all go. And so I finally did. And it was really hard um, because I'd always had that next step in my life and letting that go, everything changed. Like it was like a night and day difference. Um, I finally started having peace of mind I finally started having success um and I attribute it all to finally being able to let go of needing to know what my future held and that was a lesson that would continue um after I got home and like I said before had no idea what came next just because I didn't have college I didn't have anything I just had a job you're already a nurse and um that became a very pivotal lesson in me finally choosing to date Nate, I guess, because it was so uncertain. He was so different than any guy I'd ever dated before. Here was this guy who had just recently came back from the church and yeah, from not being in the church and who was significantly older than me and who had a not a typical not story. Not significantly older. <laughs> I was wondering if the word significantly <laughs> was just going to fly. Yeah. I had never, like I'd never dated older. anyone older but, but than fairness, me before. I mean, how old were you when you guys started dating? I was 24. 25. 24. 24. Okay. I was 24. Okay. So, I mean, at that point, you're and talking about... I was like 31. About, you're talking about seven years. I mean, you know, seven years... When you're a lot seventy and sixty-three, is not a big deal. Yeah. Well, and I had Seven never dated. At that point, it was it was real. I'd never dated anyone in their thirties. Yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah. like. And yesterday I turned thirty-five. You did turn thirty-five. That's right. I'm officially birthday, today <laughs> closer to forty than I am to thirty. Yeah. That's all right. I'm closer to fifty than I am to forty. So awesome. there's a lot ahead of you guys. <laughs> so I just, I, by the way, I love that this is how this has come together because I love hearing your paths that brought you guys together because it makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. now why you have such a passion for marriage and for Mm -hmm. people having good marriages. And, and I can kind of see the Lord's hand now. I'm sure there were times where you were thinking, what What am I doing? Bro, he keeps pushing and he brings things together. So you guys have been married then four years. Three. Three. Three years? Yeah, almost three years. So you're married three years. Nate, you've got this background. You've got another podcast mm-hmm. uh, that we talked about a little bit that, that deals with relationships. Yep. And all of a sudden, it's time for the Mormon Marriages Podcast. How did this happen? How did it come together? Yeah, so I've been doing this, this the, the Love Umentary podcast for like several years. And I specifically left faith out, mm. part in part because when I started it, I wasn't... Right. I, I yeah. had no interest in the church. 
Um, but also because I looked around and the majority of the marriage resources that I found online were pretty religious. Um, mm. they were, they were very, uh, a lot of very Christian or very Jewish or just very religious resources. And I wanted to provide, um, a resource that, that showed that there are truths that make marriage work that don't deal specifically with religion and religion can be part of that for some couples, but it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have that right. religious grounding. There are lots of non-religious yes. couples that have amazing that are marriages. blissfully right. happy. Absolutely. Right. So, um, but, but then when uh, Angie and I got married, uh, I really wanted to, um, to incorporate that aspect of faith into a show and it didn't fit into the love mentary where I'd, made religion specifically taking my beliefs out so that people couldn't pigeonhole me as just some like Mormon marriage guy. Right. Right. But with Ange, like she is so thoughtful and so wise. And I I knew that pairing up with her and, and creating this thing together would just be a lot of fun. It would be a fun little thing that we could do as a couple. And awesome. So I asked her if she was interested and, um, she was, and were as, you immediately interested? Was this immediately like, yeah, let's do this? Um, it was a little no. scary <laughs> because you, you, she you resisted talked for about quite being a while. an introvert, right? Nate, you're not an introvert, clearly. No. And but, and Angeline, you you seem like your reserve <laughs> was it nerve wracking? It it was, um, especially since I was coming into this with Nate already having like five years under his belt of doing something that he was really good at. Yeah, and I always resisted. Um doing things that I wasn't good at. Does that make sense? Yeah, like right. even growing up perfectionist, I was, yeah, sure. the, that whole perfectionist mentality. And so I resisted for a little while just because I didn't think that I would be as good as Nate and I didn't want to disappoint him and I didn't want it little to be a did failure. She know, she's even better. <laughs> like if you go on the Mormon marriages blog, the yeah. blog posts are incredible and, and writes them. And I'm just like, how do you, what the, this is, and, this has and, been awesome for me because Nate has brought out a whole, side of me that I didn't know was there. Like I, ha- I haven't brought, you have brought it out yourself. You've encouraged it out of me though. Yeah, I put a little pressure on you sometimes, but like our di- dynamic is really interesting because I'm a time I can talk for so long. I can feel the silence and Angeline, while I sit here and talk is just being so thoughtful and listening intently. And when I shut my mouth, the most beautiful nuggets of wisdom and the most <laughs> well thought awesome. questions drop in. And I'm like, I gotta talk less, man, but she, it's a great partnership. Like she's a great interview buddy. She, and she's so thoughtful and so wise. And my, one of my favorite reviews on the podcast, I looked at our reviews the other day and there's one woman who said, or man, a, a reviewer, a listener who said something like, I didn't think I could learn something from a young newly married couple. <laughs> but as I listen to these episodes, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's things that I can learn from these people. And in large part, that's just because Ange is such a great listener and a great question asker and gets our guests to share things that are like really awesome. So, and you'll have a first of all, your dynamic is phenomenal. You guys really do have a great synergy together. Thanks. Um, You bring out different things. You definitely have your own personalities, which I love. And and it takes things in in different directions. for our listeners who haven't heard the podcast yet, and again, I highly encourage everybody to check it out. One week you'll have a married couple on, yeah. another week you'll have a therapist on, yep. another week you'll have an author on, and one week was just you guys talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that the plan from the beginning, was to mix it up like that? Our, our plan was just to show people that the kind of pattern that you talked about, where you graduate from high school, you go on a mission, you go to college, yeah. you meet your partner, you you get married, you have babies, like that... that not all marriages follow that pattern and that if they don't, our, our goal was to just show people what real marriage looks like right? and hopefully inspire them to level up their love from wherever it is to one step closer to what a celestial marriage would look like. I love that. I so, love that goal. So we have people who, you know, we want to talk about hard things. We want to talk about infertility and we want to talk about divorce and blending your families when you get remarried. And we want to talk about anxiety and depression. And my hope is that we're showing people, exposing them to the couples that might inspire them to be like, Oh, I didn't know a marriage could be like that. What can we take from that and make our own or give them tools like a therapist can come on and say, Hey, this, 
is how you might navigate conflict differently, or this is how you might adjust your expectations to make yourselves a little bit more fulfilled. And they can walk away and be like, okay, we can make an eternal marriage now. We don't have to wait till we die and pray some switch magically flips and that all the problems we have right now just disappear because we're suddenly like not human anymore. I I think you're also giving tools to a lot of married couples and maybe people who are single who are just thinking about what their marriage will be like uh, when they get married. But I think you're giving people a toolkit as to how to talk. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was commenting, we were talking before we started recording this, this last episode you had uh, Tom Harrison, Tom Harrison and the way he spoke. I mean, I've been married 25 years he spoke and, and he said things that I had never thought of. Like yeah. it had never crossed my mind. Yeah. And I was really moved. Tell us who your first guest was. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, right? Yeah, Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Who many of our guest. listeners will know. We had her on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she is our number one most listened to episode. Ours, She's ours just the well. loveliest. And yes. she just, it seems like, you know, she talks about things that are difficult for some people to understand or process or that may be taboo. And yet she does it with such the spirit yes, that they're not dead exactly because she approaches it with yeah. the spirit. And I have had so many people uh, thank me for having her on. I know you guys have had the same experience, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's what I love is that then you'll just have a couple on talking about their own because they're the one thing I've learned. There is no such thing as the typical Mormon marriage. No. Right. You think there we is. think there is. Yeah. But we think there is, but no. then, then all of a sudden that, that couple that we hold up on a pedestal. Yeah we find out that they're going through hard times. They're right. going through divorce or they're going through whatever. And I think we see a lot people people following the almost the exact same story that Ange described for herself, where they want their lives to look a certain way. Like they want the 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 perfect Instagram family. Yeah. You know, no problems. She stays at home with the kids. He works. They He has like a leadership calling and she does too. And they just find time and it, they just make it work. And and again, there's there's nothing wrong with having a no, life that no, looks no, like no, no, that. No, no, no. I'm not being critical but of that. I but think, we all want that. But right. sometimes we try and shoehorn our plan into God's plan. And like, it's okay to not have a marriage that looks like everybody else's. Well, and I think it's it's okay to have an ideal to strive for. Yeah. But to make that be your measure of success right. is only just setting yourself up That's for feelings of failure. Yeah. Right. And that can actually breed negative thoughts oh, yeah. within a marriage of yeah. how come you're not more like sister such and such or brother such and such right. down mm-hmm. the road. Why isn't our marriage like theirs? It must be you. You must be a problem. Yeah. And I think that that's a great tool Satan has right. to make us definitely, you know, be divided. You guys, I, I'm going to tell our listeners, because uh, we're kind of getting there on time, one of my favorite things is, Angeline, when you started talking about uh, your difficulties, Nate, you reached over and put your hand on Angeline's knee, <laughs> and I could see it in your face, your concern for her. Yeah. And I just think you guys are the perfect people to do this work, to do oh, what thanks, you're doing. And thank it's, you. I think it's just wonderful. What's What's next? What should people look out for with the podcast? Or what do you want people to know about your podcast? This is the pitch for Mormon Marriages Podcast. Um, The podcast has become like an awesome hobby for us. Like we love doing it and we love sharing it and we love what we're learning from it. And it's just kind of evolving organically. Like I don't really know if we have any specific plans some of the things it, that we're but... really excited for we've been hosting um these date night events together mm. that have been a lot of yeah. fun uh and i i know all of your listeners aren't local in utah but um we really we've really enjoyed doing that we over valentine's day weekend we had about 500 people come to our last event and it was themed keeping the magic alive and um we had a magician come and we had a therapist speak and i spoke and Anyway, it's just we Incredible. we're enjoying doing things like that that are kind of turning this message into a bit of a business, um, a bit of a, bis- a business and a mission. Yeah, right, exactly. it's definitely. A, a I mean, business I can with see it evolving into that. Yeah, and if we, people yeah. want to know more, other than just listening to the podcast, where can they find more of your resources? So, a really great place to start is if you go to legendarylovechallenge.com. LegendaryLoveChallenge.com. Yeah, okay. I've put together... So one of the principles that I really believe in that I feel is very gospel-centric mm. is the principle of, of incremental growth, that we're supposed to get better like 1% every single day. Yeah. Just marginal gains until we reach perfection. 
uh, and it's a long, long, long game to Love play. It. But uh, kind of grasping onto that concept, um, I I put together this seven day love challenge. And the goal of the challenge is to teach people the mentality, the principles, the the tools that they need to create the re- the relationship that they really want. And it's all based off of um, these cu- the hundreds of couples that I've interviewed on the podcast uh, in the past and the ones that we interview now, the books I've read, the trainings I've gone to, like I've tried to condense all of that. And the idea behind it is um, you pay a little bit of money up front to do the challenge. And if you complete it in seven days, we give you all the money back just so that there's a sense of accountability. Mm -hmm. And every day you get a little lesson about five to 10 minutes long and there's an application exercise. So you're putting stuff into practice immediately. And, and that like there's, this is another disease that I see a lot in the church and also in the marriage industry is yeah. that people get caught up on insights. They, they become what I call insight chasers. Mm. Um, and you know, whenever you learn something new, you gain a new insight, you have a new revelation, you like, you have a breakthrough in whatever it is you're studying. It feels really good. But that breakthrough, that new insight doesn't, it doesn't do you any good unless you apply it into your life. Yeah. It's the action taking that gets you results. Right. So I encourage people to be action takers, not insight chasers. Mm. And this seven day challenge <laughs> I love that. will will help you not only learn some new principles like you talked about listening to Tom Harrison, but take those principles and apply them into your marriage so that you can actually experience what it's like to see your marriage shift in seven days. I love it. So that's that's a really cool thing that we've rolled out recently that um it's on, it's crazy to me the letters that I get from people who do this challenge, and they're like, "I didn't realize in one week I could t- literally transform my marriage." That's incredible. So um, that's a really cool resource that if you're anywhere in the world, you can access and hopefully take advantage of. Well, we highly recommend to our listeners that they check all this out, make their marriages better. Um, this has been just phenomenal. I want to close with the question we ask all of our guests: the same question. Mm-hmm. The answer is always interesting. And that question, and you can choose who takes it first, <laughs> but what does being a member of the church mean to you? Oh, wow. We've had one-word answers, and we've had five-minute answers. So, um, Well, to me, um, this answer is evolving, I think. And a, lo- a large part of that is being exposed to Nate's story. Um, I always thought being a member of the church was one specific way, kind of like he was saying. And I'm learning that... Um, being a member of the church looks different for every single member of the church. And it's, um, it's learning, it's growing, it's growing closer to God and becoming more like Christ little by little and, um, having questions and searching for answers and having community. I mean, it all boils Mm. down to, to that. Awesome. Awesome. I would say being a member of the church means that you are baptized and confirmed a member of the church. But being a follower of Jesus Christ is something very different than that. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference between being a member of the church and being a follower of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of members of the church who I don't think grasp fully. And I I definitely include myself in this. I don't fully grasp what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. Mm. Um, but being a member of the church, I don't believe is enough. Mm-hmm. I think I think that what being a member of the church is just kind of like getting married. Like people invest a lot in their wedding day, but it's every day after that that really counts. Right. And people we put a lot of importance on your baptismal day. You know, you get baptized yeah. and confirmed and there's a big hoopla and we have a party and you know grandma and grandpa come and you know it's great and we celebrate that and we have these kids stand up in church and we recognize them, but it's every day after that that matters. And so to me, um, being a member of the church is like really, uh, I love the concept that Joseph, that Jordan Peterson presents of creating heaven on earth, which is basically Mm. trying to rid the world of unnecessary human suffering. And I think that's, that's kind of what my mission is as a member of the church is what can I do to alleviate the suffering in the world that is unnecessary? Gosh, that is awesome. Mm. You guys are wonderful. They are uh, podcasters, bloggers, and definite marriage enthusiasts making the world <laughs> a much better place. Nate and Angela and Bagley, thank you so much. Dude, thank you for sharing your pleasure to life hang out with, with you. us. We appreciate it. And my thanks to Nate and Angela and Bagley. Again, what a just great couple. I'm sure you felt the spirit from them. 
They are just doing such amazing things out in the world and so grateful to have them as new friends. Just fantastic. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I got to do one of the things I love most. I love live music. I love going to concerts. And I tend to go to a lot of concerts uh, from the 80s. A lot of bands from the 80s are touring, and I go see them, and it just brings up such great memories. And this week, an artist I used to listen to a lot, I still listen to him a lot, uh, his name is Howard Jones, and you may remember some of his songs like Life in One Day or Things Can Only Get Better. And by the way, if you remember those songs from when they first came out, spoiler alert, you're old. We're all old. <laughs> in fact, uh, I think that the median age at the concert was about 50, and it was so fun. Oh, he was fantastic. And one of the big thrills, we got to bump into our old friends Guy and Jan Klinger. Uh, we were all in a ward together in Provo, gosh, 24 23, 24 years ago. Uh, Just amazing. Wonderful to see them. Such good people. And then we took our seats and the show began. And I love, like I said, I love concerts generally, but I love sharing them as well. And so my usual MO when I go to a concert is I'll take a few photos, maybe share them on Instagram while I'm there. But I always do a Facebook Live video as well. And I share it because a lot of my friends are really into 80s music and I love seeing their comments. And we sat down and, and Howard Jones came out and normally he tours with kind of a bigger band, but this was a little unique. It was just a three piece. It was him, a bassist and a guitarist and he plays keyboards and that was it. They were pretty much in the same position all night, but he was wonderful. So funny and engaging. And I took a photo early on and I was kind of planning what song should I share on Facebook live when the person in front of me started shooting video. And as the person in front of me started shooting video, an usher came running over and said, I'm sorry, no video tonight. No video. And I watched this usher run around and tell several people, please turn that off. You're not allowed to shoot video. Well, it's been a long time since I've been to a show that I couldn't shoot video. And I slipped my camera, uh, well, my camera, my phone, (laughs) my phone into my pocket. And I leaned back and put my arm around my wife. And suddenly my whole mindset changed. Suddenly I realized I'm in this moment with the band, with my wife, and social media doesn't really matter. I wasn't an option. I couldn't share it anyway, and I really do enjoy sharing it also. But for the rest of that show, I was able to focus on the music, which was incredible, the ambiance, my wife. I did not get out my phone once during the rest of that performance. And it was so old school feeling. I mean, this is how we used to always do concerts. You know, the only way people knew about it was that, you know, you wore the concert shirt the next day and you told all your friends about it. But what a wonderful night and what a moment to be present. And I thought to myself, you know, not that I won't do Facebook Live in the future or try to get video of it, but I want to enjoy the moment more. I need to be more present. I need to figure out when I am in places rather than trying to capture it for a photo or a video that I may or may not look at later, why not really live the moment and really enjoy what's going on around me? Uh, Howard Jones says it best. Don't try to live your life in one day. You know, life is long. Be in the moment. Be present. Be there. That's what I learned this week. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you want to reach me, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, We always appreciate great reviews. And so until next week, when we have another fantastic episode lined up for you, please remember, as always, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 